Good morning. You think we're going to get another snowstorm? I like snow, so I apologize. I kind of miss having Chuck up here, though. He was up here with me last time. I enjoyed that. So as Tim said, we're going to spend the next four weeks as a congregation in the book of Galatians, which is not really a book. We just call it that. It's really a letter. And actually, you know, for those of you who want to open up the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1151, 1151, because um, we'll be looking at it this morning. It was a real letter. I think we forget that sometimes. It was an actual letter written by a real man, the Apostle Paul, who had started churches all across the Middle East, and he wrote to them. He wrote these letters to very specific groups of Christians in specific locations, and he was addressing specific problems and issues that those churches were facing as they worked the young church to understand what it meant to follow Jesus and to actually be a church. Can you imagine those days? So in the Galatian church, there was one really contentious main issue that Paul wanted to address with them. And let me just help us understand a little bit. The very first Christians, the very first people who followed Jesus were Jewish. But as the gospel spread out from Jerusalem farther and farther, people who were not born Jewish, the Gentiles, became Christ followers. And what happened in Galatia was after that church was started, a group of Jewish and now Christian teachers were insisting that the Gentile Christians, those who had not been born Jewish, had to start keeping all the Old Testament dietary laws and the Jewish sign of the covenant, which was circumcision, in order for them to receive full acceptance by God. And the Galatian people, the people in the Galatian church, were starting to believe this. And Paul goes ballistic about this. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Galatians. But in the beginning of chapter 3, the chapter we're going to look at this morning, he says, you foolish Galatians. And that's a nice way of, of translating what he was actually saying, I think. Uh, J.B. Phillips translated it as, my dear idiots of Galatia. It's a little, little more rough. And he was so wound up because this faith plus, plus law idea was in direct opposition to the gospel that Paul adamantly reminds the Galatians he had preached to them when he first came to them and when they first accepted Christ. And I believe Paul was so wound up about this because he knew that the gospel of undeserved, unearned grace through faith in Christ is the only life-changing gospel. And when people believe it, the power of the Holy Spirit in them creates humble, grateful, merciful, loving Spirit-filled people through whom the good news of the gospel continues to be spread. But he also knew that when the gospel of faith in Jesus plus self-created righteousness, when that kind of a gospel is preached and believed, people begin to believe that they are somehow capable of earning favor with God through their own behavior. And when that starts to happen, it creates instead arrogant 
and judgmental and self-righteous and hypocritical and proud people with no hint of the Holy Spirit of God in their lives. And the gospel does not spread. And, and Paul knew that the future of the church was at stake in Galatia. That's what this letter is writing on. And so Paul pens this passionate, powerful letter in which he unpacks the gospel of faith alone. And you want to remember, you know, just two words, what the letter of Galatians, to the Galatians is all about. Remember those two words, faith alone. Listen to how puts it, Paul puts it um, in Galatians 2, um, verse 15 and 16. And again, we're picking it up kind of in the middle here. He's talking to Peter about some of the Old Testament dietary laws. And he says this in verse um, 15. He says, we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Christ. He's saying, we know, we know, even we Jewish people know that a man or a woman is not made right with God by obeying the law, but only by faith. So we too, he said, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. The Galatians believed when, when Paul had first come to them with the gospel, they believed that through no merit of their own, but only by God's mercy, they had been restored to a right relationship with God through the life, death, and resurrection of his beloved son. That's what that church was founded on. And they believed the only gospel worthy of being called the good news was the gospel of grace. But here is where the problem starts. Because the Galatians couldn't hold on to it. That truth of faith alone, that truth of the gospel of grace was too slippery. And so it it felt too free to them. And in an effort to stop the free fall, because they had let go of it, Paul speaks sharply to his friends. And this is where we're going to pick up his letter. Um, Galatians chapter 3, starting with verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? He's coming back to that word. After beginning with the spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law? Or because you believe what you heard? I want you guys to notice something here in this particular part of the letter. Notice that Paul was not speaking to people who did not yet know Christ. He was not trying to explain the gospel to people who were not Christians. These were Christ followers. These were the people of the church. And he's not trying to convince them about salvation by faith. He's trying to convince them to learn to live their lives now by faith in God's mercy alone. And that's why I think this has special relevance for those of us who have called Orchard home for a long time. Paul was saying to the Galatians, you started with faith and you were reborn and the spirit of God inhabited you, but now you are regressing. And he wants to know from them, how are you going to relate to God now? 
Are you going to live your life relating to God through the law? Or are you going to live your life relating to God through faith alone in his grace? And he just pounds on this issue because he knows this, that human beings like you and like me and like the Galatians will always be tempted. We will always be tempted to slip away from faith alone and put ourselves back under the burden of some kind of subtle form of the law. Whether we have Jewish background or not, this is the human temptation. And Martin Luther knew this. Galatians was Martin Luther's favorite book. And I invite you, if you want to dig more deeply into Galatians, to pick up Martin Luther's um, commentary on the book of Galatians. Phenomenal. This is what Martin Luther says. Think about this. He says, the sin underneath all of our sins is to trust the lie of the serpent that we cannot trust the grace and love of Christ and must take matters into our own hands. That was the lie that tripped up the Galatians. This is what was happening. And Paul is saying to them, the good news of the gospel that human beings are made right through faith alone in the unearned grace of God through Christ is never just a one-time deal for new believers. But it's something we need to preach to ourselves and practice living out on a daily basis. Again, Martin Luther, he says, to be convinced in our hearts that we have forgiveness of sins and peace with grace, with God by grace alone is the hardest thing. This is the hardest thing we have to face. And, and I, you know, I've noticed this in myself when I started to think about it. I have to be aware in my life of this temptation because no matter how long I have walked in grace, I have this temptation to start to believe that being good and acting good and generally doing the good thing is what makes me stay right with God, all of which I believe Paul would lovingly call me an idiot for. You see, in my daily life and in yours, if we're honest, the temptation to slip away from grace and toward some variation of it's all up to me, which Paul would call living by the law, is as dangerous, if not potentially more dangerous, than the temptation to fall into overt sin. And the reason that it's more dangerous is because we think it is the right thing. And it looks like the right thing. Now, now I want to flesh this out a little bit, because our temptation, of course, to, to fall into um, bondage to the law isn't like the Galatians, right? I mean, theirs was circumcision. Anyone in here have that temptation? Circumcision? I didn't think so. And, of course, ours is, is more subtle, but it seems more noble to us. So let me see if I can flesh this out in some ways that might make sense for us today. What does living by the law look like in the life of a Christian Living by the law means that so much of my good behavior and Christian activity is prompted by either guilt or shame or fear. Living by the law means we feel so guilty if we don't make it to church that we feel we have to make it up to God somehow during the week. And we kind of see Sunday worship like an insurance policy that we take out against God's potential disappointment in us. 
I hear this when I talk to people. Living by the law means we hold to the belief that we must live a good life in order to find grace at the end of our days. We wouldn't ever admit it, but we somehow hold on to the belief that in the end we have to earn God's ultimate favor. Living by the law means we believe God demands. We have to be in perfect control of our feelings and emotions. I have heard people talk about how sad and sorry they were that when they were sick or a loved one was sick or maybe even when a loved one was dying, they quote-unquote didn't do grief right. They didn't have enough faith or they didn't have enough faith when they walked through depression. Living by the law means that we believe that if someone close to us gets sick or dies, God is punishing us for something we did or didn't do. Living by the law means we feel guilty when we stop running and serving and saving everyone. We feel guilty when we take a day off to play or to enjoy the beauty of God's creation or to give our bodies the rest that they need. Living by the law means we can't sit still in the peace of God's presence for five minutes. Living by the law means we check off our daily time with God like we're getting an oil change. Living by the law means we make up rules for ourselves that aren't even in Scripture, and then we congratulate ourselves for keeping them, and we judge other people when they don't. Living by the law means when we don't feel accepted by God, we start to think to ourselves, maybe God is rejecting me because I'm such a bad person or I've made so many mistakes or I'm such a failure. I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do. I know what God's demanding. I'll go to church more. I'll join a small group or I'll stop swearing or I'll stop watching really bad television or yelling at the kids or I'll give some money away. I hear this kind of thing so often. And way too often the motivation is this belief that if and when we do good things, then God will really like us and accept us. And then I will become that most dangerous of people, a good Christian. Living by the law leads us to a kind of self-righteousness. Do you get that word? It's a self-created sense of rightness with God that leaves room neither for the love of God nor for the love of neighbor. Living by the law is so dangerous. It's so spiritually dangerous. And yet it is one of the most accepted activities in the church because on the outside it looks good. And we're doing all the right kinds of things. But the further I travel in the Christian life, the more I see the temptation in me and in other people to believe that we have to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. No weaknesses, no struggles, no failures, no doubts. And others believe it too. We support each other in this belief. It's why we post the Ten Commandments. You know, as if somehow they are the best summary of our faith. And too often, I see this all as noble rather than what it really is, a flat-out denial of the power of God's mercy and grace. It's as if I'm saying, thanks, Jesus, for the cross, but, you know, would it be okay if I just added a little bit of my own good behavior to it? You know, like some fire insurance, in case the cross isn't quite the full ticket to justify me, to make me right with your Father. 
I, I need to start to call this what the scriptures call this, which is a nullification of the cross. It is a flat-out denial of the truth that Christ is always enough. And you might say as you listen to me, wow, that's kind of harsh, Alice. Did you not have your morning coffee yet? Did you eat a little crabby patty cake for breakfast or something? Well, here's the thing. This isn't me. This is what Paul writes to his foolish friends in Galatia. Listen, listen to this afresh in Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. Mark my words, Paul says. Now listen, when Paul says mark my words, it's like your mom saying to you, mark my words. Okay, he's serious here. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, again, you know, translated into our language today, if you let yourself start to believe that you can be obedient enough to be good with God, if you do that, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, he's going to come at this again. Again, I declare to every man, and he's, of course, talking about women too today, who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. He's saying if that's the route you're going to pick, if you're going to try to add some obedience to this whole thing, then you've got to take the, the law and you've got to obey it, obey it all the way. In my house, we have a phrase for this. We say this around Christmas time especially. We say, if you're going to jingle, jingle all the way. You get it? It's awesome. Um, that's what Paul's saying. If you're going to go with the law, then that's the route you have to pick. And you have to decide that you're going to be obedient to the whole thing. And that's the way you're going to make yourself right with God. And then he says, and listen to this sentence. This comes from a man desperate to help the people he loves understand that they have to live in the gospel of grace. He says, you who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Those are big words. And he speaks so harshly to his friends because he wants them to understand that though, though our good works give us a sense of false security with God, they make us think we must be a good Christian. God must love us. The truth is that when we depend on them, we negate the work of Christ on the cross. When we try to do all kinds of religious things in our own power, in an, in an attempt in our own minds to keep ourselves right with God, to make ourselves in our own minds the kind of people that God loves, Paul says when we do that, we nullify the grace of Jesus. Depending on our own good works and our own goodness or living by the law, as Paul says, to make us right with God is not only really dumb, but it's really spiritually dangerous. And Paul is saying in as strong of words as he can, and I believe he would say to us this morning in as strong of words as he can, you've got to choose. Every day, you've got to choose. Are you going to trust this day in the power of God's grace? Or are you going to choose this day to trust in your own efforts to be good enough? You can't do a bit of both. It doesn't work. Again, Martin Luther. He says, to seek to be justified by the works of the law is to reject the grace of God. 
And so here's what I want to ask all of us this morning, what I believe Paul would ask all of us if he were here helping us to study this letter. I would be terrified if he were here. (laughs) The only thing that has the power to make a human being right with God or justified, as Paul says, is simple faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross and the grace of God manifest there, period. And so my question is, do you believe this? And I don't mean just for a one-time decision. This is way too big for one time. My question is, are you willing to base your life on this? Every day. Because this is a daily decision. Even when you're having a really bad day and you really feel the weight of your own sin and fallenness, are you willing to base your life on the gospel? Instead of your own efforts to pull yourself up. Again, Martin Luther just, he pens a sentence that just crystallizes this. He says this, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God, your functional savior. And see, I think Paul was saying to the Galatians, what's your savior? You're going to save yourself? Are you going to trust fully in the grace of God? And I just want to say this for all of us who still carry this image in our head of, of striving in our own strength and power to become good Christians. Let me say once and for all, there are no good Christians. I hate to burst your bubble. It is a worthless struggle. There are no good Christians. There are only people who have come to the place where they know that faith means standing before God with empty hands. That's all we have held open to receive the life-giving power of the undeserved grace of God. And they know that this is their only hope. This is all they put their trust in. They have nothing else. They trust nothing else. And they especially do not trust their own good works. All they have is grace. Pure, unadulterated, amazing grace. They have realized, as one pastor said, it's my favorite sentence ever written about the gospel. He says, grace has to be drunk straight. Just think about that for a minute. Grace must be drunk straight. And I don't care what your mixer is, if you pour it in there, you ruin the drink. Grace must be drunk straight. And when we understand the radical nature of grace... It always begs the question, it did in Paul's day, well, if we're made right with God through faith in his grace alone, then what do we do with the law? Does that mean we can just depend on God's grace, have faith in it, and do whatever we want? Well, Paul predicted this question. You know, in in the book of Romans, when he unpacks the gospel of grace, he gets to Romans 6, verse 15, and he predicts the same question. He says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Well, by no means. 
And listen to what he writes in the fifth chapter of Galatians. This is just a stunning, um, short bit of writing. Um, Galatians 5, starting with verse 13. He says, you, my brothers, were called to be free. The gospel of grace means you're free. You're free from the law. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. And listen to this. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, I think way too many people in the church are using up almost all of our God-given spiritual energy, trying to earn from God what Christ has already purchased for us. Our redemption, our, our justification, our right standing with God, that's been taken care of. And what Paul is saying to the church of Galatia and to us is, stop using all of your energy to try to make your own self righteous. Stop fretting and running around trying to prove your own worth to God by all of your pathetic efforts at right religious behavior and regression back to the demands of the law. Instead, he says, recognize and believe in and live in your Christ-purchased freedom and rest in the absolute truth that Christ is and was and forever will be enough. And then believe that through daily disciplined um, belief in his grace, you are fa- forever made right with your father. And then out of gratitude for that unearned and indescribable gift, out of gratitude, devote your energy to love and serve your neighbor, for this is the fulfillment of the law. It's so simple. And we make it so complicated when we try to add our little bit to the mix. We need to preach the gospel of faith alone in the grace of God to ourselves every day. And we need to not let ourselves fall back into slavery to the law. So every morning when you and I get up, we need to whisper this truth to ourselves. And your spouse or whoever you sleep with might think you're kind of weird, but I think you should say it. Grace, if it is truly grace, must be drunk straight. You remind yourself of that every day. And the power of God will inhabit your life. And so stay thirsty, my friends. Stay thirsty. Let me pray. God, one of the greatest temptations of mankind is to not believe you are who you say you are and especially to not believe that what you accomplished on the cross is enough. And so in all of our feeble, foolish efforts to buttress up our own righteousness, we end up turning our back on your grace and we don't even realize we're doing it. May your word dig deep into our hearts and root out any attempt of ours to justify ourselves on our own efforts. And may we practice this week drinking grace straight. Amen.